Today I'm going to try sitting down to preach. I have done it a few times. Um, I don't know how this is going to work, but uh, it's getting difficult for me to stand for 45 minutes or however long it goes. And I know some of you would say if you just preach shorter sermons, it wouldn't be a problem. But old habits die hard. Uh, and so I'm going to try, if I may, sitting down to preach. Um, and again, it's good to see all of your faces here today. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. And um, all of the sermons that we've preached in Isaiah so far have been in the earlier parts of the book. Uh, but uh, I have one book of sermons on Isaiah that uh, was preached by Alan Redpath, who was pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, for quite a few years. Uh, and all of his sermons are chapter 40 through 66. So that's the mother load. That's where you find the real rich stuff. And so I decided I'm going to dive in and maybe I'll get rich uh, in these. But I want us to read these verses. I'll be reading, uh, as usual, from the um, New King James Version. Um, I, I like the New American Standard Bible, uh, but uh, I got hung up back many years ago in Taiwan uh, because the New American Standard still had these and thous in it, and that aggravated me. So I switched them back around 1988 to the New King James. Well, would you like to stand again? And if you're comfortable doing that, and we'll read these first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. 
the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May God add his blessing to his word, and it's a delight to see Brother Dennis Conway walk into the auditorium. He's become a backseater, but uh, but that's all right. Brother Dennis, would you lead us in prayer again before the message? Amen. You may be seated. The subject of the message this morning is God's eternal word of comfort. As we noticed, he started out this passage by saying, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah uh, certainly had some passages of comfort and hope. Uh, last Sunday we preached on the perfect peace that we can have through, through faith in the Lord. Uh, but uh, most of the passages were predominantly a strong message of judgment and warning Throughout the entire section. So now beginning with Isaiah 40. The rest of the book is filled with words of comfort and blessing. That reveal the love, the compassion, and the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 39. Ended by announcing the coming Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem. And their 70 year exile in Babylon. Let me read Isaiah 39 and 6. It says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house. Now this is Isaiah's word to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. And what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So this word from the prophet must have been a Bitter blow to Hezekiah and to the Jews in Jerusalem at that time. They had been delivered from the hands of the Assyrians and they thought they were home free. How could they celebrate the downfall of the Assyrians when through God's prophetic word, the sharper sword of the Babylonians was on the horizon? And so the word was comfort. Yes, comfort my people. Isaiah knew what it was to warn and chasten God's people. But the Lord also wanted his people to receive comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3 speaks of our Lord as the God of all comfort. And uh, if you will remember, I brought this out in uh, one sermon recently and I said that I have a book in my library by Hannah Whitehall Smith, which the title of it is God of All Comfort, which she got the title from 2 Corinthians 1 and 3. But uh, 
God wants his messengers to be able to deliver not only hellfire and damnation and judgment and warning and condemnation sermons, but he also wants us to be able to preach and deliver messages that give comfort to the hearts of his people. And uh, I can guarantee you that any group of people listening to God's messenger preach God's word, there are any number of hidden hurting hearts who need a message, a word of comfort from God through his word delivered by his messenger. And so that was what Isaiah, who had faithfully delivered the messages of judgment and warning, was now going to deliver words of comfort to the people of Jerusalem. In verse 2, he says, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Jerusalem at that time, you will remember, they needed a word of comfort. It may have been that the Assyrian army was still surrounding the city. You'll remember that uh, the Assyrians in their first attack into the little kingdom of Judah had uh, attacked and destroyed and uh, basically just left them in shambles. 46 towns and cities. It says 46 walled cities. And now the army was surrounding Jerusalem. And Jerusalem at this time needed that word of comfort. It also means that God had surrendered, had commissioned his messenger to give comfort to them. God's comfort is not shallow, meaningless words, but come from his infinite goodness and mercy and to give comfort to his people. Speak comfort in the Hebrew literally means speak to the heart. In other words, God is saying to Isaiah, speak to the deepest needs and desires of my hurting and wounded people. This command, I believe, is for us today as well. Jerusalem holds a special place in the heart of God. One day, it will be the capital city of King Jesus and his universal kingdom on the earth. And we are commanded in the Bible to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So God is always concerned with Jerusalem and her welfare. And um, I don't know, I may be way off track here, but as I was thinking about this today, how this scripture could apply today, Jerusalem needed comfort. And I believe that God was looking down the centuries of time and considering the needs and the and Jerusalem many times has been attacked by her enemies and so forth and 
And there are many times when she has needed comfort from God to know that they are still God's chosen people, that God is still with them. So I thought of this. Whether, whatever you think of President Trump, before he was elected president, one of the promises that he made was that he would move the American embassy from where it was, and I'm having a senior moment here, uh, but move it to the city of Jerusalem. Well, when he was elected, he carried out that promise. And could that be one way that God has said comfort to Jerusalem? Another illustration, this very week, if any of you watch the news or keep up with the news, you know that uh, President Trump brokered a peace treaty, a peace agreement with Israel and the United Arab Emirates and the country of Bahrain. And uh, this could be, I believe, another way that God is speaking peace to Jerusalem. Now, that does not mean that there's not going to be other warfare and other conflicts for Jerusalem in the future. But Isaiah then said in chapter 40, he said that her warfare is ended. At the time Isaiah spoke this prophetic word, they might still have been surrounded by the Assyrian army. But as far as God was concerned, her warfare is ended. This was a word of comfort to Jerusalem. It is in this same sense that God speaks to us and tells us that we Christians today living in this ungodly world that we live in, that we today are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the Lord Jesus Christ. The battle still rages in God's people. But as far as the believer is concerned, her warfare is ended. Because in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And people, we can claim that promise today, even though we maybe weekly, maybe daily, maybe hourly, maybe by the minute are under attack by Satan and his legions of demons. And yet we know that we have won the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and we have that confidence. But Isaiah then goes on to say that her iniquity is pardoned. Now this is speaking to the people in the city of Jerusalem there, in the, what was left of the little kingdom of Judah, that her iniquity is pardoned. Now we know that down through uh, the centuries, uh, when God brought Israel into the promised land, that they many times forsook the Lord, they disobeyed the Lord, they went out and worshipped idol gods and did many uh, ungodly things. And yet now God is saying to Isaiah, 
Tell these people that her iniquity is pardoned. When Isaiah spoke these words, the people of Jerusalem, I believe, were well aware of their sins because of the preaching of Isaiah and of Amos and some of the other contemporary prophets uh, that Brother Steve has been telling us about in Sunday school. But here the prophet speaks of a day when they will know comfort because her iniquity is pardoned. This is looking prophetically into the future when their Messiah will come and pay for their sins on the cross and their sins will be forgiven, they will be pardoned. And this is the real reason for that comfort that Isaiah is commanded to declare to the people. And then he goes on to say, For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This declares the basis for the pardon. The sin has been completely paid for. Whether under the old covenant or under the new covenant, our sin and our iniquity is pardoned because our sin has been paid for. When he says double payment for all of our sins, it simply means that Jesus more than paid for the sins of Jerusalem, but also for the sins of the whole world, of every person born in the world through the death of Jesus who receives him and believes in him as their personal Savior. This way paid double for their sins. If you take a sheet of paper and you fold it over and you double it, that is the idea here, that Jesus Christ, when he paid for our sins on the cross, it was an abundant payment. It was all that would ever be needed for any person, any sinner on the face of the earth to receive a full pardon for their sins. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the payment that the Lord Jesus Christ made for us. Let me make it clear. Our iniquity is never pardoned because God is love. And therefore, because he is love, he decided to let us off the hook. That would be impossible because God is a righteous judge and therefore justice must always be served. But under the new covenant, it is not we who have received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. It is our sin-bearing Savior, Jesus Christ, who received the cup of wrath from the Lord's hand, and he received double for all our sins, so that 
When I came to Jesus, received him as my Savior, all of my sins, past, present, and future, as far as God sees, they're all forgiven, they're all pardoned, and I stand before him righteous. Point number two, the word of the Lord prepares the way of the Lord. We're going to read verses three through five. He says here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he starts out here by saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here Isaiah speaks of the Lord's messenger, who cries out in the barren wilderness. And he says, prepare the way of the Lord. The meaning is that the Lord is coming to his people as a triumphant king who has the road prepared for him so he can travel in glory and in ease. Every obstacle in the way must be removed. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The idea of preparing The way of the Lord is a word picture because the real preparation must take place in our hearts. Building a road is very much like the preparation God must do in our hearts. Now, I've mentioned several times over the years, um, my maternal grandparents lived 10 miles north of this big town of Aspermont who has at least a thousand people in it. And uh, Highway 83 goes from Aspermont north all the way to the Canadian border. And uh, that stretch from Aspermont out to my grandparents' house is just almost as straight as an arrow. Um, But you got a lot of hills. And I can remember when they were putting, paving that road and they had all the equipment out there. And, and my grandparents lived at the top of a hill. It was a big hill. For West Texas, it was a big hill. Um, it, it was at least from top to bottom a half a mile long. And so there had to be a lot of digging and paving and moving dirt and so forth to make it possible for them to put the highway through that area. Uh, I I have fond memories of that highway because uh, my parents, my grandparents lived at the top of the hill and it was a half a mile to the bottom of the hill. Can you imagine being on a bicycle and traveling a half a mile down that hill? The only problem was getting back up the hill. You know, that, that, that's a problem. But anyway, uh, that's, that's a little bit off the track. Um, but um, 
Building a road is very much like the preparation God must do in our hearts. They are both expensive. God had to pay the price of sending his son into the world to die on the cross for our sins. And so it's expensive. They have to deal with many different problems and environments, and they both take an expert engineer. And so God has his highway. When the way is prepared, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, Isaiah said. His glory is revealed to the prepared hearts described in these previous verses that we read. Then he goes on to say, and it is revealed no matter our nationality, because he says, all flesh shall see it together. Now, we are living in a day when certain, the focus is put on certain racial groups and uh, perhaps made to feel that they're more important than some other racial group. But with God, that's not the case. He said, all flesh shall see it together, meaning all races shall see it together. In other words, every person born on the face of this earth are born sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, the glory of the God is revealed when we receive him as our personal Savior. The glory of the Lord is not revealed only to Jerusalem or Judea, but to every prepared heart. And when we hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us and so uh, in our lives, and we realize that we're a lost sinner and that we don't want to go to hell and spend eternity there, but we want to uh, receive Jesus as our Savior. And so when we have had our hearts prepared by hearing the word, by the convicting and drawing of the Holy Spirit, then um, God will reveal his will to us. The certainty of this word is guaranteed because it says, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This passage of Isaiah 43 through 5 has a direct fulfillment in the New Testament, in the person and ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus was the coming Messiah and King, and John, John the Baptist's ministry was to be one crying in the wilderness. And through his message of repentance to prepare the way of the Lord, we often overlook how important the preparing work of the Lord is. Any great work of God begins with great preparation. John wonderfully fulfilled this important ministry. And so God received glory from his life and from his ministry. Point number three, very quickly, the message of the voice in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. The voice said, 
cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. But the word of our God stands forever. So the messenger received the commission from God, but what should his message be? He says, what shall I cry? And uh, the answer comes, all flesh is grass. What is that saying? It's a message of the frailty of man. Isaiah thinks of the beautiful green grass covering the hills of Judea after the winter rains and how quickly the grass dies and the hills turn brown and barren. This is how frail and weak man is. Even the beauty of man is fleeting and passes as quickly as spring wildflowers. He said, all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. And then he goes on to say, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Man is in this fragile state at the pleasure of God. Make no mistake about it. This world and everything in it is going according to God's plan and God's purpose and God's will. And all you have to do to know that is a reality is just to read his word and find out that God is in control. The breath of the Lord blows upon it. It is to God's glory and according to his plan that man is this frail. You know, um, when we're young, we tend to think, you know, I'm going to stay young and strong and vibrant and uh, forever. Uh, and I've told you of my athletic prowess in my younger years. Actually, that's an exaggeration. Uh, but uh, uh, now here I am preaching, sitting on a stool. And I excuse that because Dr. Charles Stanley over in Atlanta, Georgia, First Baptist Church, he did it. And so if he can do it, I can do it. Uh, anyway, um, our human frailties. And um, I keep hoping and praying and trusting that God is uh, going to Make me strong again. Well, anyway, the word of our God stands forever because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. The message is the permanence of God and his word. In contrast to our human frailty and fleeting glory of man, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
Maybe we don't stop and think often enough. This is God's word. How important God's word is. Jesus said, this word is truth. We want the truth. We want to know God. We can only know him through his word. The word of God certainly has endured down through the ages. It has survived centuries of manual transcription where men with pen and papyri and so forth, they copied word for word with their antique pens. I'll call them antique pens, the, the word of God, so that we could have a copy of it. Different people could have copies of it. It was through persecution, and uh, it is endured because of ever-changing philosophies of all kinds of critics, of neglect both in the pulpit and the pew. It has endured because of doubt and disbelief, and still the Word of God stands forever. The Word of God stands Forever, written on, and this is a quote from Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Written on material that perishes, having to be copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, did not diminish its style, its correctness, nor existence. The Bible, compared with other ancient writings, has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of Classical literature combined. And then in AD 303, the word of God stands forever. The Roman emperor Diocletian demanded that every copy of the scriptures in the Roman Empire be burned. He failed. And 25 years later, the Roman emperor Constantine commissioned a scholar named Eusebius to prepare 50 copies of the Bible at government expense. What a change. The word of God stands forever. Voltaire, the French skeptic and infidel who died in 1778, said that 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history, and that the Bible would be a forgotten book. Many years after that, Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society used the press and his house used, I'm sorry, his press and his house to produce stacks of Bibles. And then quoting from Josh McDowell's book, he's quoting Hastings. He says, infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book. And yet it stands today, solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it is more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels, with all their assaults, make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When the French monarch proposed a persecution of the Christians in his dominion, 
an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So the hammers of the infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and popes, kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die and the book still lives. And then quoting Bernard Rahm from the Protestant Christian Evidences, he said, a thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and committal read. But somehow, the corpse never stays put. The word of our God, this message cried out by the voice in the wilderness, was meant to prepare hearts. Hearts for the coming of the Lord by leading them into repentance. And I would say our nation more than ever before needs repentance and revival. Revival cannot come without repentance. Revival cannot come with, without hearts being prepared. So the understanding of our frailty and fleeting glory contrasted with the eternal enduring of God in his word, should humble us in repentance before the Lord. It certainly worked in the ministry of John the Baptist. The word of our God stands forever. The words of Isaiah. But Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, said an Amen. To that wonderful truth. He said having been born again. Not of corruptible seed. But incorruptible. Through the word of God. Which lives and abides forever. And he then went on to quote. Isaiah 46 through 8. And finally he said. Now this is the word. Which by the gospel. Was preached unto you. My dear friends. We have the word of God. The word of God stands forever. And men have been attacking it. Men have been trying to change it. Uh, men have been trying to revise it. But the word of God stands forever. And I say to you that the word of God, as originally dictated by the Holy Spirit to the prophets and apostles of old, this word will stand forever unchanged, unrevised, eternally enduring as the word of God. It cannot change. There are those who have things that they equate as being equal with the word of God. But the word of God is the word of God. And there are many scriptures that Command us that we cannot add to, we cannot subtract from it, from the word of God. The word that was given to the apostles and the prophets. 
and has been given down to us. I, I, I thought of this, and this, this may be a silly illustration, and, and it's so Steve can tell me. But talking about the Word of God, that it never changes, down through so many ages of time, I remember when we were over in Taiwan, we had a youth group at, the, at our church there, and we had sometimes upwards of 20 young people coming, attending on Saturday night youth service. And we tried to keep them interested by, of course, Bible study and singing, but playing some games. One of the games we played was the telephone game. Have any of you ever played the telephone game? Okay. Uh, I guess it's fairly common. Uh, where we would have a, a, a circle of people, and uh, the, the first person, you give them a, a, sh a short message, and then they have to pass it on to the next person, and then to the next person, and to the next person. And invariably, Invariably, when it comes to the end, it's totally just gone. The message is gone. It's been altered. It's been changed. You, you can't understand it. Well, there are those who say there's alternate truths outside of the word of God. And that down through the centuries, we have these truths that we've got to accept in addition to the Word of God. And I say to you, the Word of God endures forever. It is unchanging, it is eternal, and it is for each and every one of us to take it and read it and study it and meditate upon it and apply it to our lives because it is this word of God which is the power of God unto salvation. It is this word which contains the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So may God help us today to love his word, to believe his word, because it is only in his word and through his word that we can receive the comfort that our hearts needs, the assurance that we need. And uh, uh, Brother Steve, that so song you sang in the beginning was no stranger to us. Trusting Jesus, that is all. And you only come to know Jesus through his word. And so Brother Steve, come now and lead us in our invitation. I'll try to dismount and get out of your way. And we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. It's hymn number 300, 300.